Bible reading today is from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 22. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Isaiah chapter 61, and you can find this on page 749 in the Church Bibles. Isaiah 61, and we read the first seven verses. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. 
and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. This is the word of the Lord. So you've heard that fantastic joke about the bishop who went up to the microphone and uh, clearly it wasn't working. So he tapped the microphone and uh, he said uh, in a whisper so that the congregation couldn't hear, there's something wrong with this microphone. To which the congregation said, and also with you. <laughs> it sounds like we're all right. There is something wrong with uh, me this morning. I've just come back from Zambia. And uh, so I'm still not quite sure which planet, let alone which continent I'm on. Uh, we arrived back very early on Tuesday morning. And uh, I'm in the middle of the night on Wednesday when I went to get up, I, I kept thinking, I don't know where we are. And I, there was a bit of light coming in the window. And I thought, are we in Kitway? And I lay there in bed thinking, I haven't had a flight home. So clearly, um, I'm still in Zambia. Uh, this, despite the fact that we had a nine-hour flight back from Johannesburg. Uh, and so when I got out of bed, I stood on the carpet, and I thought, there's carpet under my feet. Uh, I must be in England. <laughs> so it was an extraordinarily disorientating, but a, but a very encouraging and a very inspiring, uh, as well as a very exhausting uh, experience. And I bring you love and greetings from your brothers and sisters in Zambia. And they've asked me to say that they treasure and honour uh, the 40 years of the links between this diocese and the five dioceses of Zambia. And they've asked me to say they thank God for you, for uh, the giving, for the prayers, for the support that has meant so much to them. Um, I've uh, come back having eaten more of the soil of Zambia than I had intended. Uh, those of you who know what it is to travel across uh, Africa know there's this great boil of... Um, boiling dust, red dust that follows you everywhere that gets into your throat. So uh, if I sound a bit croaky this morning, then please do forgive me. I gather today you're starting a, a, a new sermon series, uh, a sermon series on Luke, and I'm sure that's going to be encouraging and inspiring. Actually, after that wonderful interpretation of the gospel reading, uh, you probably don't need a sermon this morning. Uh, we could see the scroll being unrolled uh, and we could, we could hear Jesus preaching, uh, even though it was done in sign. And then we could see Jesus rolling the scroll up back again. I mean, it was uh, beautifully and wonderfully uh, brought alive for us. The first reading of that gospel uh, from Luke chapter 4 is verse 14. And that's a, a good place to start 
if you're starting on a sermon series in Luke. It begins with these words. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. This is a most dramatic moment uh, at the beginning of the Gospel. Jesus returned to the synagogue uh, as was his custom. Clearly he had been brought up in the synagogue. But I wonder what they felt when Jesus came through the door with 12 disciples. It must have been a, an odd moment for them uh, to see this boy having grown to a man and already receiving, uh, following and, uh, and people coming and respecting him. And they gave him the scroll of Isaiah. And when he stood up to read, uh, I wonder what, uh, what silence there was around the synagogue that greeted him that day. And we read that he read from uh, the reading of Isaiah, perhaps the one that was set for that day. And we read that initially everybody praised him, that initially everybody spoke well of him. Is not this Joseph's son? And then suddenly something turns because he says, this day, this scripture has been fulfilled in your sight. It's not just that you've heard it, uh, but you've seen the good news. You've seen uh, God visible among you. And we read that they took him out. They took him to the, the brow of a cliff and they intended uh, to throw him off. Uh, this was surely a blasphemy. Uh, and they wanted him out of their midst and out of their minds. But it's clear that when Jesus stood in the synagogue that day, that he was there in and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you go through Luke's Gospel, you'll discover that an emphasis on the Holy Spirit is one of the distinctive features of Luke's Gospel. And if you forgive me, I'd just like to run very quickly through uh, the previous three chapters just to bring out how important the Spirit was in the life and the ministry and the mission of Jesus. And so the first time we read of the Holy Spirit is when Zechariah is in the temple. An angel comes to him and says that his wife, who's been barren, is to bear a son. And the angel says, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. There is to be something remarkable about this boy, uh, to be known as John the Baptist. And then an angel appears to Mary. And the promise that comes to Mary is that the Holy Spirit will overshadow you, and you will bear a son. And he will be called Great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. He will be known as Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And we read that Mary, filled with that good news, goes off to Elizabeth, her cousin, in the hill country of Judea. And we read that the baby in Elizabeth's womb dances and moves with joy. And it simply says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. The arrival of Jesus is bringing something new to the people of Judea. And the next time we read of the Holy Spirit is when Zechariah um, has been brought together with his family and they're asking him what uh, they want to name this boy, thinking that he will call it Zechariah after his own name. And the family are all gathered there. And Zechariah, who had not been able to speak, we read that Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and he opens his mouth and he praises God. Uh, we use it sometimes in our own worship, the Benedictus, uh, his great song of praise to God. His mouth is opened because he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then we go into the temple, Mary and Joseph carrying the baby Jesus. And they meet there Simeon. And we read of Simeon that the Holy Spirit was upon him. We read that the Holy Spirit moved him. And we read that the Holy Spirit revealed to him that this was the Messiah, the light of the world. I wonder how many days uh, Zechariah had, uh, Simeon, sorry, had stood there in the temple. I wonder countless numbers of babies that he had seen come before him. And yet this comes before him, uh, an ordinary baby, Mary, uh, we might say an ordinary peasant girl. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him that this is Jesus. The Spirit pointing the way to Jesus, revealing the Spirit in the life of Simeon. The Holy Spirit had moved him to be there at that moment. The Holy Spirit was upon him and the Holy Spirit revealed uh, Jesus to him, the Messiah, the one that God had sent. And then we come on to John the Baptist. When John the Baptist and Jesus by now are both uh, fully grown men, and John the Baptist, as he preaches that message of repentance, as people come to him to be baptised, he says, I baptise you with water. But there is one who is coming who is more powerful than me, uh, the sandal of whose, uh, uh, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie, and he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The coming of Jesus was bringing something new into the world. People were being filled with the Holy Spirit. And here was one who was coming who was to baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then, of course, we come to Jesus' own baptism. And the heavens are opened and a voice is heard and the Spirit comes down like a dove. And Jesus is baptised, anointed, and prepared for his own ministry. And what is the first thing that happens after the baptism of Jesus? After he's been filled and anointed afresh with the Holy Spirit, we're told that he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days uh, to wrestle and uh, to do battle with the devil who he was to fight and to overcome upon the cross. And although I don't normally like the uh, Jerusalem Bible, uh, it's got an interesting way of talking about that. Uh, if we'd read the NIV, it would have said that Jesus um, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It says that Jesus was filled with the Spirit and he was led by the Spirit. It was the Spirit who took him into the wilderness. But the Jerusalem Bible translated in these words, it says that Jesus, armed with the Spirit, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The Spirit, the sword of the Spirit uh, that Paul writes about, armed Jesus and made him ready for the mission, for the ministry, for the service, for the path, for the journey that lay before him.
And so we come to today's reading. Jesus is there in the synagogue, armed with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, and he says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And please note that. Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, and he has sent me out. And those two come together. It's because Jesus was anointed, he was sent out, and he was sent out because he was anointed. Both were needed for Jesus' ministry. And it reminds us that our calling as a church together, our calling as Christians, is to be those whom God is anointing and those whom God is sending out. And please note, I said, the ways that God is anointing and that God is sending. Jesus said, I was anointed and I was sent. But for us, that is the way of our life. That is our ministry. Paul said very distinctly and very clearly, do not be filled with wine, because that is debauchery. That is foodiness, that is drunkenness. But be filled with with the Holy Spirit. And when we look at that word, be filled, that, Jesus, that Paul used, uh, speaking to the early Christians, speaking to us in our own day, when he said be filled with the Spirit, it's a plural word. It isn't about you or you or me or you being filled with the Spirit. It's about us all being filled with the Spirit because the Spirit is God's gift to all the baptised, to all of God's people. And also it's a, I think what's called a present imperative, uh, which means it's a command. It's not an option. It's not something we can choose to do or not. The Bible says to us, be filled with the Spirit and be the people that I'm calling you to become and to be. And it's a present imperative And that means not just be filled with the Spirit, but go on being filled with the Spirit. Be filled and be filled and be filled and be filled. Be baptised, be baptised, be baptised. Grow in the Spirit, grow in the Spirit, grow in the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit, said St Paul. But actually, again, that's that's also a, a plural word. Sometimes we apply it to ourselves. But Paul was thinking of the army of God marching and marching in step with one another. Paul is saying, all of you, walk together, be united in your faith and march together, walk together in the service of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Um, Walk in the Spirit and be a glow in the Spirit. Be on fire with the love of God. Those are the encouragements, uh, the imperatives, uh, the commands of Scripture. We were in Zambia um, during their dry season, which it is at the moment, uh, and they they will be praying so desperately for rain in uh, November and December. 
Uh, sadly, in Zambia, the rains are becoming later, uh, and they've become lessened. And there is a, a real urgency and a real need. Uh, I think many people uh, will be starving in Zambia if the rains don't come. Um, and I've promised them that, that I will pray for them. That in November, I shall do my own prayer walk, prayer dance, whatever is needed, rain dance, to pray that the Lord will open uh, the blessing of rain for our, our brothers and sisters and the people of Zambia. And we had, while we were there, something called load sharing, load shedding, load shedding, which actually is a rather um, government word, a spin word, for power cuts. Do you remember the, the power cuts that we used to have? I remember, I can't remember if it was my O-levels or my A-levels, but studying by candlelight. Uh, well, we were back to those days because the power would go off for 12 hours or for 18 hours at a time. Uh, and the reason is that the Kariba Dam, which was that dam that was built uh, in order to generate hydroelectric uh, power for the whole country uh, and for the people of Zimbabwe as well. Sadly, the water level is so low that if they let too much water flow, then the turbines would burn out. But when the rains come uh, and the rivers are full and the lake of Kariba is full, the water will flow and it will flow continuously and it will generate light, and it will give light. Sorry, it will give life to the people of Zambia. Our calling as Christians is to allow the Spirit, the water of God, the life-giving uh, Spirit of God, to flow continuously into our lives and out of our lives, that we may bring light, and that we also might bring life to others. Our calling, your calling as a church, our calling together is this, from the words of Isaiah, to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release prisoners from darkness, to proclaim the kingdom of God, to comfort all who mourn, to care for those who grieve. And as you go through Luke's Gospel, you'll see Jesus in the various encounters, the people he met that Simon was talking about. You'll see him living out that ministry that God the Father had called him to. Isaiah calls the people of his day to rebuild, to restore, and to renew. To rebuild, to restore, and to renew the ancient places, the ruined cities, the places that have been devastated for generations. Jesus in the synagogue that day in Nazareth said, this is my mission. It is for this that I've been anointed and it's for this that God's Spirit has come upon me and I've been sent to proclaim the Word of God. That is the mission of Jesus. That is your mission. That is our mission. That's this morning, as we come uh, to share in the bread and the wine, as we come in a moment, perhaps, to sing praise to God our Father and to worship together. Let's pray that God will anoint each of us afresh with his Holy Spirit, and he'll give us the faith and the courage and the boldness to be a people who are sent. There's a church in this diocese that has written over the door uh, as people leave, you are now entering the mission field. 
I don't particularly like it, uh, but it does make me feel uncomfortable. And it reminds us that we go out from the Eucharist blessed, anointed, filled, refreshed, renewed by the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And we go out to make God visible and to make uh, the name of Christ known in this world. You are a home of grace in the heart of the city of Bath. May all who come here meet and discover the grace of God. And may you be those who carry the grace and the love of God into his world. May God fill us afresh with his Holy Spirit for his glory's sake. Amen.